Transportation funding may be Missouri's white whale. Everybody agrees that the state needs more of it, but few agree on the funding source. State Representative Becky Ruth is at the forefront of this issue as the chairwoman of the House Transportation Committee. So to break down where the state needs to go on the issue, the Festus Republican joins us on the latest edition of Politically Speaking. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. Welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Julie O'Donohue, and I'm here with my co-host. Jason Rosenbaum. And we are here with State Representative Becky Ruth. She's the chairman of the Transportation Committee in the Missouri House. And can you remind us where your district is? Sure. I am District 114 in Jefferson County. So I have Festus, Crystal, Herky, Peevely, Little Barnhart, Little DeSoto, Little Hillsborough, really centrally located in the county. Gotcha. And have you been on the show before? No, this is my first oh, time. Oh, wow. I'm I didn't excited realize to be here. that, Jason. <laughs> I, I, I'm always excited to have more Jeffco people, the most exciting political place in Missouri every two years. Oh, we, yes, definitely <laughs> has been a bellwether in terms of political activity and elections. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I, I know from following House elections that you're one of the rare people that ran unsuccessfully for the House and then won their second time. So clearly you were persistent enough to get to where you are today. But how did you get to the point where you're in the Missouri House and you're the chairwoman of the House Transportation Committee? Sure. Um, I'm a retired teacher. I taught for 25 years at Festus High School. Um, Retired in 2011. Had a lot of people approach me about running for office. It was something I had kind of thought about. Ten years before that, if you had asked me, I would have said, oh, no, that's not for me. Um, But I became more politically involved um, all the way back to 2009 when we passed, our family actually passed a bill for newborn screening in our state because of a rare disease that our grandson had that Missouri wasn't screening for at the time. So I really got my first taste of politics back then and seeing kind of what it was like and what the process was like. And I'm a big believer that if I'm going to complain about something, then I need to be prepared to step up and do something about it. So I decided to run with the support of my family and worked really, really hard that year, but it wasn't meant to be. I 2012, lost, by the way. Yes, right. 2012. I lost by 87 votes. So that was kind of tough. Um, gave myself about a 24-hour pity party there after you worked so hard. Lots of door knocking. You put your whole self into that and then decided, okay, what am I going to do? Um, decided that I would pull myself back up again and try again and was successful in 2014 and beat the incumbent by 588 votes. Yeah, oh, there's a reoccurring topic on this show is about Jeff Jefferson County went from a Democratic-leaning swing county to now every member of the House and Senate delegation is Republican, which is just yes. crazy to think about. I think a lot of it has been attributed to 
President Donald Trump's popularity in Jefferson County, but clearly this was something that was going on before Trump came to office. What would you attribute to the republicanization of Jefferson County too? Well, I think Jefferson County has always been very conservative. Um, even when it was Democrat controlled, you had very conservative Democrats there. And we've seen parties change over time. And I think a lot of people felt like they just didn't belong in that Democratic Party anymore. You know, they were very conservative and felt like the Democratic Party leaned further left than what they were comfortable with. So I think you saw the the advent, not just the Donald Trump swing, but just people in general. Jeffco's always been a very conservative area. When you say conservative, do you, do you mean conservative on social issues, economic issues? I would say all of the above. You know, it, it, a lot of conservative social issues. Um, you know, very pro-life. My district is, while it's very pro-union, um, it's also very, very pro-life, very, very pro-Second Amendment. So you're the head of the Transportation Committee. That sounds like it might be kind of a tough job. People are often frustrated with our transportation network. Can you talk a little bit about what, first of all, is there stuff you that came as a surprise to you in that position? Well, I think there's always a learning curve anytime you take on a new position. I am the first female to ever chair that committee. So just stepping into those shoes, those were very big shoes to step into um, and take a handle on because transportation is not an area that most people t- typically think of as being female dominated. Um, so that was a challenge in itself and just a learning curve about everything that is transportation involved. There are so many things that people don't realize. You have to learn about dump trucks and propane trucks and rail and air. I mean, it involves everything, even aerospace. So we, it's a very broad range of topics. You have a lot of committees that are more centrally focused, you know, on just one area, but transportation involves so much and touches so many things in our state. Um, We've had Department of Revenue issues, you know, when you think about getting your licenses renewed, um, the the taxes involved with that, it all touches transportation. And what what got you interested in the topic? Um, My district actually is along the 55 corridor, which is very important. Um, It's an important freightway for us as well, as well as sitting right on the Mississippi River. So I'm very passionate about our ports, as well as seeing that we have great infrastructure to support the business and industry to bring it here to our state. You mentioned ports, and we've talked a little bit about this before the show, but every time I talk with somebody from Jefferson County, they mention ports a lot. Explain why that's such an important issue not only for Jefferson County but the St. Louis region as a whole and what the legislature is doing to expand that transportation opportunity. This is an extremely important issue because it's an industry where we actually get basically a seven to one return on our investment which is really huge. I don't know many other industries where you get that much of a return on your investment into something. Um, When we look at the river industry as a whole It is a much more economical way to ship goods and freight. About 40% of what we ship on our rivers is agriculture, and Missouri is a huge agriculture um, state. In terms of fertilizer, grain, um, soybeans, etc., we also have a huge market in terms of sand, um, 
concrete that's very important along the river as well. And Jefferson County is really centrally located. Um, we are south of the locks and, and dams, so we don't have those issues to go through. It's always been a river town there with Herculaneum, Crystal City. So we have a lot of great opportunity. And one of the really exciting things that's coming to our state is American Patriot Holdings and Porta Plaquemines in Louisiana. Um, that's being developed, and American Patriot Holdings wants to put hubs here within our state, with Jefferson County being one of those hubs. We're looking, St. Louis will be a part of this, Jefferson City, as well as uh, Port of Kansas City. So they've developed a new vessel that can go faster and actually hold more cargo, and Port of Plaquemines in Louisiana will actually be a great spot for those larger ocean-going ships that they don't have any place else to go to. The West Coast and the East Coast both are such a nightmare in terms of delays and trying to get uh, freight through there. This will allow them a new place to go, go straight up, and we are strategically located right in the Midwest to be able to get freight out to other areas as well. I feel like transportation funding is always a fraught or transportation in general is a fraught topic. People are often very frustrated uh, with the state of their roads. If they live in an area that's congested, they want to know why they don't have, we don't have more roads or bigger roads or interstates too. Um, So what, what do you think first, I guess I'll ask is, is transportation an issue in Missouri And I think I know the answer to that one. And what do you think uh, needs to be done? Sure. Transportation is a huge issue in Missouri. I think you've heard our governor talk about it over and over again. People, I hear from people in my district. I hear from people across our state. Everybody wants our roads and bridges to be fixed. In Missouri, we have almost 34,000 miles of roads that MoDOT is responsible for. That's a lot. We are the seventh largest road system um, in the nation. So when you look at that in comparison, it's, it's really huge and we have a huge responsibility. Um, when we have the type of weather that we have in terms of our winter weather, <clears throat> the flooding, all of that does damage to the roads, as well as just years and years of being driven upon. And we have been behind the eight ball when it comes to taking care of our our roads in Missouri. We need to really stay focused on that. I think we made a lot of progress this last session in terms of being able to uh, find funding, creative funding sources with our bonding, and also for the first time using some general revenue. We hear from a lot of people that we need to do something, but they just want us to, to wave a magic wand, and it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the bonding plan because it was groundbreaking on another number of levels. Number one, you mentioned it's probably one of the first times in recent memory general revenue and not direct taxes like gas taxes have gone to fund roads. So that's one thing that a lot of people have advocated for for a long time. I think our listenership is pretty well-educated, but you might want to briefly. General revenue is revenue that can go to any cause. Right. It's not directly right. earmarked. Just right. so people can understand. I think that's a good, That thank you, <laughs> thank you, Julie. I think the other thing, though, is that because there was a gas tax proposal in 2018 that didn't pass, and Governor Parson, as you kind of alluded to, wanted some sort of funding mechanism to fix bridges and, 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 and therefore roads. Once you fix the bridges, you can then fix roads. Bonding really was the only option without taking it to a vote of the people. And I think 
people understood that in the legislature, but they still didn't see it as a long-term solution. And there was some hesitancy about going into debt for transportation um, and not using a direct funding source like gas. I know that's a long-winded windup, but I wanted you to address why that particular plan came to be and also address some of the concerns about going into debt, using general revenue, things like that. Sure. What people need to understand is that when we did the bonding, the interest rate for the bonds that we can get was much lower than what the inflation rate of the construction would be. So we were looking at an inflation rate of about 3% for construction. So the longer we put it off, the more expensive it was going to be. Bonding is a good way to be able to afford to do this and get it taken care of now at a very low cost, actually, to our state. By getting the infra grant that we were able to get, which triggered the bonding, that took care of a ton of bridges in our state. And the infra grant was for the Roachport Bridge in mid-Missouri, by yes. the way. Yes. And it, it was a whole package that was part of the package, the, the Roachport Bridge. It's taking care of that, but many other bridges in our state. And by being able to take care of those bridges now, we were able to take that money that was already set aside in the STIP, and now that can be used for other road projects. Mm-hmm. So we were able to pay for that, and that freed up more money to be able to to fix our roads and do more road projects. So we were talking before the podcast started, and you you do believe more money, there needs to be a long-term solution to get more money going into transportation funding. Where do you think that money should be found over the long term? I'm a big believer in not taking anything off the table. Um, It's going to take a lot of things. There's no one magic thing that we're going to come up with that's going to be the be-all, end-all solution to our transportation issues. It's going to take a lot of pieces of the puzzle. Um, You know, we talked a little bit before the show. We could look at something in terms of managed express lanes using public-private partnerships where a portion of that money goes back into our transportation program. Um, there's a lot of different... Can you explain how a managed express lane works? Sure. A managed express lane would be um, a an express lane. You would pay the fee. There would not be a booth. Most of those are done electronically now, and you can use it if you want to. It is not mandatory. It would be for areas that are highly congested, and It would not take anything away from those convenience stores and restaurants and cities along that route because people could still get on and off without fear of having to pay for it. So it's completely voluntary, not mandatory, and it would help alleviate some of that congestion and be just one more source for funding for our roads. Right. So you usually this is how I understand it to work. You you pay or there's a toll on a certain part of the road, you're paying so that you can go faster, presumably during congested times. Right. Not speeding, but at least being able to go the speed (laughs) limit. So we don't want to advocate for, you know, people out there speeding, but at least to help alleviate that congestion, a lot of people would prefer to do that than go, you know, inch by inch down the road because it's so heavily congested. And to give our listeners probably what you're talking about, I'm from suburban Chicago, so toll roads are not a unknown thing to me. In the past, you did have to stop at a booth, pay like 50 cents or a dollar or whatever. But I think in the 2000s, they created something called an iPass that you like stick mm-hmm. on the window of your car. You go through a really long scanner and then it scans your iPass, and 
deducts money that way. So therefore, you don't have to stop at a toll booth. So that's just, you know, that's one thing. That's one option we're looking at. Um, Other states are increasing user fees, registration fees. Um, They're getting away, some states are getting away from the gas tax, and they are looking at just a a total user fee. There's a lot of different options. How does a user fee work? Um, It's still fairly new in some states. I believe Oregon is possibly using it, maybe Washington. Um, They pay a, a basic fee, and that's it. That, that's they're, they're just doing away with a lot of the other things. So it's just a fee basically to use the roads. And, so. w- and when, where do you pay that? Do you pay that like at the DMV? Do you mm-hmm. get a- Yes, yeah, you just you pay it there. So and I'm not saying that Missouri is necessarily moving forward. I don't want to give the listeners that impression. I'm just talking about what other states are doing right now. And I think we have to look at all options. Um, you know, we've talked about gas tax. Missouri has one of the lowest gas taxes. A gas tax and even raising fees are very hard sell, you know, in the state legislature right now. But again, every option, I believe, should be on the table. Every option is something we should have discussions about and we should talk about. I think not just the legislature, but the public has said that they're not interested in paying higher taxes for transportation, but they are complaining often loudly about transportation. Is there any frustration that there seems to be uh, an unwillingness to approve a new stream of revenue, but at the same time being frustrated that the roads are not in great shape? I think there is frustration. There's frustration on the legislature's part, but there's also frustration on the people's part. And it's a balancing act. So how do we come up with solutions? Nobody wants their taxes raised. Nobody wants to pay more. Um, but yet we still have to do something. And I think our solution this last session was a good solution. And we did direct that general revenue and the bonding. And I believe you're going to see um, that happen again, not in terms of bonding, but I believe that using some general revenue um, is a possibility in the future. I believe that the budget chair may be interested in continuing to do that. Those talks still have to happen. Um, but I think the important thing is is that Missouri is making a commitment to find a way to fund our infrastructure. And we'll be back right after this message. And we're back with State Representative Becky Ruth, and we're talking about transportation issues in Missouri. Uh, The representative is the head of the Transportation Committee in the Missouri House. I want to talk maybe a little bit more forward-looking. The legislative session, believe it or not, is like two months away. We're recording this in late October, but it'll probably be posted sometime in mid-November. What are some specific uh, pieces of legislation you're looking at, at, at filing? What are some issues in the transportation realm that you want to tackle in this year? What's on the horizon? Well, I think you're going to see is a lot of different solutions offered, as we talked about previously, with um, the possibility of doing managed express lanes, the possibility of any type of user fees or registration fees. We had some of that last year, some of those proposals Um, were presented. Some of them had a really tough time. Um, I think we're also going to see a move towards making this a priority in terms of our budget and and using general revenue. Um, One of the things that I would like to see is an increase in the uh, cost share grant program. I think that's a great program 
to help our municipalities as well as the state be able to do some of those larger projects and actually have the municipalities or the counties have a buy-in. I know that one of the tensions between the state and the counties is sometimes the state wants to turn over management of, of some of the 35 or 34,000 miles of roads to local entities. And they're like, no, we don't want to do this. We don't have enough money to, to maintain them. We're yes, they don't want them. them back. Yeah, <laughs> they don't so, want them back. So, Mike, Mike, with that as a backdrop, how how receptive are local governments to that type of idea? Actually, they're very receptive. Whenever I spoke with Director McKenna, who's the director of the Missouri Department of Transportation, we had way more applicants for the fifty million that got put into the cost share program. We had way more applicants than we had money. Mm. Oh, for really? That. Yes. Yes. So it was, you know, kind of most of the applications came in at the last minute, but they had more requests for money than what we had money to give for that program. I wanted to ask, we, we've talked a lot about roads and, and bridges. Where do you see transit fitting into the transportation conversation in Missouri? Public transit in terms of like Metrolink and, um, you know, the Metro buses, you know, that's all part of it. So just for our listeners out there, the way funding is kind of decided is we have regional partners. So here locally we have East-West Gateway, and that's made up of uh, a board, and projects are brought in front of that board, and that board then makes recommendations to Missouri Department of Transportation as to which projects should be funded. And by state, you know, all of that's a part of of our transportation issue. And I think our rural listeners probably don't think as much about public transportation as our urban listeners do. Um, that's where we have more of the public transportation, St. Louis and Kansas City and some of those issues. Do you think it would be better for the, the state if there was a more robust state investment in mass transit services? Or does that get into the issue that if you start funding St. Louis and Kansas City, then a lot of other public transportation entities around the state are going to want money too. And it becomes kind of like a feeding frenzy almost. Well, and I think you're right on that because you're talking about two very urban areas. And then that's when we get into the urban and rural divide and saying, well, this is more important. The urban areas are more important than our rural areas. So I think there's a fine line there and you have to be very careful with that. So I want to talk about Hyperloop. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a topic that I like to talk about a lot. Um, because the thought of being able to get to Columbia, Missouri from St. Louis in 10 minutes is a very enticing <laughs> prospect to me. <laughs> I like going to Eastside Tavern to do karaoke, and it, I'd rather get there in 10 minutes than, tw- than two hours. Um, I know that you weren't on the Blue Ribbon panel that looked into this, so that's correct. I want to make that sure that's correct. correct. Yes, that's correct. But there was kind of a – there has been some focus from House leadership, and mainly House Speaker Elijah Har, as well as some statewide officials on – the super fast pod travel, almost. Um, what I, What's your thought about this? And, and what's your thought about the state providing incentive or direct investment to this nascent technology? Well, I think that's something that's way down the road. So they're talking about possibly like seven to 10 years. We always need to be looking towards our future. Um, my focus right now is looking directly at what we have to do. So this has been um, a real focus on the Speaker of the House, Elijah Har, 
has really been, taken the lead on Hyperloop. We are in competition with several other states. And as I understand it, there would need to be a research and kind of development test site built, which is somewhere around $500 million, I think, is the initial investment. And then when we look even further at the whole thing from St. Louis to Kansas City, now we're talking about billions. So that's a lot of money. And I guess it's where is that money coming from? And where is that investment coming from? And I think there has been some talk of the public-private partnerships being used for that. So those are issues we're going to have to explore. Um, And I believe that the speaker is going to continue to explore ways that Missouri can be competitive for this, but it is something towards our future that's further down the road. Now, I was at a press conference with uh, Speaker Har in late October, and the question that I asked him was, "We, and it's kind of what we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes. There are so many existing transportation needs with our roads and our highways. Why would Missouri spend more money on something like the Hyperloop? This is what he said to response to my question. Number one, this legislative assembly, uh, for the first time in two decades, put a half a billion dollars of new money into MoDOT that they had not had previously. Some from general revenue, some from bonding proposal, and then some we leveraged from federal money. And that's, again, that's the first time in two decades we've had new money to go in. So we're very cognizant of, of building and keeping our roads and bridges as is. The second portion of that is that building a Hyperloop would alleviate a lot of the, the the problems that we have with our interstate system. The wear and tear, the human cost of accidents would go down significantly. Third and most importantly, eventually we are going to, to need another form of transportation. Just like we saw when we saw, you know, we went from horse and buggy to, uh, to, to the, the modern car, to building an interstate system, uh, rail, uh, steamboat. We've gone through a variety of different ways to transport citizens across the country. This in our mind is, the, is sort of the next step in that technology and us building it first puts us in a place where not only we're the center of the country in research and design, we're also once again on the cutting edge of just moving people and freight across the state. So I don't want to like mock this idea or say it's never going to happen because I don't want to look back in this interview 20 years from now and say I was mocking the greatest transportation development in human history. But from talking with ordinary people about this, they, they think it's frankly a ridiculous concept that's akin to studying whether magic is real basically. And I, I want you to kind of respond to the speaker, but also respond to some of the skepticism about this entire thing, even though I understand that you haven't been like studying this intensely, but I'm sure that ordinary people have seen this uh, idea floated and had strong reactions one way or the other. Well, as you say, yes, ordinary people have. I haven't really had anybody talk to me a whole lot about that in my district. But with any new concept, any new innovation, people are skeptical. I'm sure people were skeptical with Benjamin Franklin and some of his innovations. You know, when we talk about electricity and things like that, anytime we have those types of innovations, people are skeptical. Um, The technology we have today, you know, I, I grew up in a time period where we really didn't have home computers and phones that could do all of this stuff. You know, we, we had party lines back whenever I was growing up on our telephones. It, you know, it, now we everybody has their own phone. So some of that stuff whenever I was a kid was, oh, this is Jetson type things, the Jetson family cartoon, and this is never going to happen, but yet it has. Um, it has taken some time to develop, but 
I think any time you have a new innovation, people are going to be skeptical of that. Um, whether this is going to work or not, that's yet to, to be seen. But our speaker is very confident in this. And as he said, transportation has developed. If this turns out to be the, the magical thing to actually transport people, I do agree it would alleviate some of that congestion that we have on, on our roads, on I-70s particularly, because we're talking about St. Louis to Kansas City. Yeah, I was thinking about this last night. And I was like, this seems like something out of science fiction. Like, I literally kind of have this picture of a person in a pod, like, shooting (laughs) through through the space. Um, But at the same time, self-driving cars really seem like they might be on the horizon soon. And I was like, maybe the Hyperloop seems safer than self-driving cars. Like, I think I'd rather be in my pod going 600 miles an hour on a designated track. Uh, apparently, though, if it stops really suddenly, it's the equivalent of being in a 70-mile-an-hour car crash times 10. Yikes. So you have to make sure that it's safe. A lot of safety. And I think that's why a lot of research, development, and testing has to go into this concept to make sure that it's safe. I think there are some um, concerns that they have to look at on the federal level of some of the stuff that I've read, you know, who's going to be responsible for those safety And who ma- who's responsible for managing it? Because I think that it's public-private par- partnership, so there probably will be a private company that helps pay for this and builds this and may maintain it. But it, it it's going to have to have some sort of state regulation or oversight right. if, the state, gotta, gotta if the state be a is going to pay, too, but, you know. Yeah. Okay, before we go, I I want to get back to doing this with at least our new guests. Um, I wanted to ask you if people were going to come to your district, what do you think they should do? I want you to highlight some things in your district that you think need to be highlighted. And Jason always says, we realize this is a tough question because you don't want to pick like one restaurant over another or one site over another. But nevertheless, we're asking you to do it. Sure. Um, Pretty exciting right now. So and this is something that I talked about even whenever I was running for office is our local Main Street in Festus. Whenever I was a kid, this was the hub and center of commerce. And I remember walking down, we had a Woolworth store even on Main Street, and I would walk down there and go shopping, um, live fairly close. But over time, many of those stores moved out, Main Street kind of died, and now there's a resurgent for our Festus Main Street. It all started with, I'm going to give a shout out to Denny Foster and his dad for starting Main and Mill Brewing. Um, That was literally, it's on the corner, and it literally has been the cornerstone of the comeback of our Main Street. We're seeing now more businesses move in there, more boutiques, um, a lot of restaurants. It seems like every couple weeks a new restaurant's opening up down there. So it's pretty exciting, and I would ask people to come down, visit our Main Streets. Um, we're, we're making a comeback in many places where that's not happening, but it is happening within my district. Man, I want to go to that brewery. <laughs> you, have really, you have really done a great job of making me excited to go, and I'm not just flattering you right now. So well, <laughs> and there was just an announcement that Four Brothers Mead is now opening up uh, a location. This just oh, came wow. this last week. So we are really expanding what's going on down there. So that's an exciting – and not to take anything away from uh, Peevely or Herculaneum. They've got lots of great things going on as well. But we're, we're doing a lot of festivals too. Um, throughout the county. So it's it's really, Jefferson County is a great place to come and visit. 
That is a great recommendation. So we're wrapping up here. Um, If you want to read stories from me, Jason, or any of our colleagues, you can go to stlpublicradio.org. And Representative Ruth, where can we find you on the Internet? I have a Facebook page. So Becky Ruth for State Representative 114 or at Becky Ruth 114 on Twitter. Okay. And Jason? You can follow me at J Rosenbaum. And you can follow me at J.S. O'Donohue on Twitter. Thanks so much. 